Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me clearly? Okay, good, good, good. Um, my pleasure, my joy, my privilege to preach God's Word for you this morning. We're continuing on with a mini-series on life in the church, and um, this series doesn't cover everything um, to cover in this topic, in this broad topic of life in the church, but what we have been doing is focusing in specifically, I guess, on the more relational, interpersonal side of life in the church. Um, we've been considering, excuse me, there we go, um, why we need not just a church service, not just a Sunday worship service, but why we need each other. We've been looking at how and why it is God's design that we need one another. How God intends to use every one of us in each other's lives. And today we're going to be looking at leadership in the local church. God's design for leadership in the local church. Who is supposed to lead the local church and how are they supposed to do so? Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Starting in verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says, So, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Our first question this morning, who leads the church? Well, Peter addresses this passage to the elders, to the elders among the church. And this is not a term referring to age, rather it's a term that carries over from the Old Testament times and it refers to leaders in a community, to leaders in a community. So there's one example of the fact that it is not strictly about age. We see that Timothy, a young man who had been mentored for ministry by Paul, um, we see that he fulfills this role of being an elder in the church. And in 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul tells him not to let anyone look down on him because of his age. At the same time, though, even though Timothy was a young man, he was not a recent convert. Paul exhorts in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he makes the exhortation not to make a recent convert an elder. He warns against how that can puff a recent convert up to being prideful. The real issue then is not one of age, but of proven commitment to Christ, proven character, knowledge of the scriptures, and a competency in teaching the scriptures and leading according to the scriptures. Now, in a lot of churches, there is a mindset that the term pastor refers to a paid man who is the one in charge. It's his job. He's a, he's a professional. And if there are elders in the church as well, then the mindset normally is that the elders are unpaid, and they are under the authority of the pastor. But my friends, this is not uh, something we see in the Bible. It's not something we see in the Scriptures. And I want us to see something in this passage. You see, verse 2 here tells the elders of the church that they must shepherd the flock of God among them. 
And that word here, shepherd, is the verb form of the word pastor. That's what pastor means. A pastor is a shepherd. A pastor is a shepherd. That's, that's all it means. A direct translation of pastor would be shepherd. And these elders, Peter says, they must shepherd the people. They must pastor the church. So we realize then that elders and pastors do the same work. These words are simply different terms for the same leadership role in the church. An elder is a pastor. A pastor is an elder. And there's another church leadership term in this passage as well, actually. Verse 2 goes on to say that the elders must exercise oversight, which is the verb form, the action form, of the term overseer, which is sometimes translated as bishop. And again, a common mindset, there's, there's a common misunderstanding with this term too, right? A common uh, mindset, a common understanding of the term bishop is that this is the big boss, right? The big boss over all the pastors. But we don't see that in the scriptures either. That's not a biblical understanding of that term. These terms all refer to the same leadership role. An elder is a pastor, is a bishop. Or an overseer. Okay. So according to verse 2, the local church is the flock of God. The flock of God. And in this metaphor, we are sheep gathered together in a flock. And we all belong to God. And if we look down at verse 4, we see that Jesus himself is the chief shepherd. Elders or pastors then are like under-shepherds, taking care of God's sheep for Him under His authority. The flock of God has been entrusted to their care. And if they do this job well, if they do this job faithfully, verse 5 says that they are promised a reward by God, which is quite beautiful, really. We see because... This obviously shows us how important it is to God that these under-shepherds take good care of his sheep. He promises a reward if they do it faithfully. Our second question this morning, what is their job? What do these leaders do? Well, they shepherd. They shepherd. And what does shepherding entail? Well, shepherds need to make sure that their sheep eat. Shepherds feed their sheep. In the famous psalm depicting God as our shepherd, Psalm 23, he leads his sheep to green pastures and to still waters, to food and water that nourishes them. And as we see throughout the Bible, God's word is our spiritual food. God's word is our spiritual food. So it's not surprising then that we see exhortations like, this in the letters Paul wrote to young pastors. So 2 Timothy 4.1 I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. I heard one pastor put it this way, whatever is meant by in season and out of season, you can only be either in season or out of it. So in other words, this exhortation is to preach God's word all the time. All the time. Whether it seems to be the season for it or not, preach the word all the time. And why is this needed? Well, as the passage continues, verse 3 for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They won't put up with it. But having itching ears, they accumulate for themselves. They gather together for themselves. Teachers that suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth. And they will wander off into myths. 
It's needed, my friends, because people want to hear what they want to hear. And people don't want to hear what they don't want to hear. And if they can, they will find teachers who will tell them everything they want to hear and who won't tell them what they don't want to hear. So a faithful pastor must preach the word. He must preach the word. He must teach what God's word says faithfully, whether the hearers like what it says or not. That's what's good for them. That's the food that they need. That's feeding the sheep. And of course, it's needed. Right? Why else is preaching the word needed? It's needed for everything we've been talking about in this series, right? We looked at Ephesians 4 and we saw that God's design for the church is for pastor teachers to preach and teach God's word so that the members of the church are equipped to do the work of ministry. So that they can go and speak the truth and love into each other's lives as is most needed and helpful given the situations of somebody's life, given the things they need to learn, given what they're actually facing at the given time, to speak God's truth into their life, right? So that they can teach and train, so they can exhort and encourage, so they can admonish and correct. And as we were seeing even last week, so they can correct and restore. This is how the church grows. This is how the church perseveres. And it only happens if God's word is faithfully preached. If God's word is faithfully taught. If the pastor preachers don't preach God's word, then the congregation will not be equipped to do the work of the ministry. If the pastor teachers don't preach the word of God accurately, then the members of the church will be wrongly equipped. If the pastor teachers only preach the word superficially, then the members of the church will be ill-equipped or under-equipped. For the church to function as God designed it, His word needs to be preached consistently, accurately, and substantially. Substantially. I'm not talking here about uber-academic and, and, and just getting very theoretical and whatnot, but we, 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 want to, we, we want to know what the text really says. We want to, we want to have a, a robust understanding of the text we want to dig deep into the scriptures and of course this preaching must also be paying attention to what difference the word of god should be making in our lives practically and besides preaching elders or pastors also need to feed god's word to the sheep in smaller group or in formal settings as well. They should disciple according to God's word. They should counsel according to God's word. In Acts chapter 20, Paul described his ministry to the church in Ephesus this way. He said, I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. His ministry didn't just consist of Sunday gatherings and formal sermons. He taught the whole counsel of God as he met with people from home to home, as he connected with them as families and individuals, smaller groups. Our passage in 1 Peter says that the elders must shepherd the flock of God that is among them, among them. The reality with shepherds, with real life shepherds, with shepherds shepherding sheep, is they can't possibly do their job from a distance. They are with the sheep in the fields, walking with the sheep. And this is what God calls the leaders of his church to do. The Apostle Paul, again, sets this example. He tells the church in Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians 2.7, we see, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Being affectionately desirous of you, 
we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. I shared my life with you. I shared all of me with you. Because you'd become very dear to us. And then, picking up from verse 11, he says, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Brothers and sisters, the ministry God calls pastors or elders to, pastors or elders in his church, is a ministry of preaching the word, Certainly, but it is also very definitely an interpersonal ministry, a ministry of teaching and counseling, walking with the people. A pastor, teacher should not be somebody aloof from the congregation, aloof from the people. He must know the people and share his life with them. Another thing a shepherd does is protect the sheep. Protect the sheep from eating poisonous weeds and to protect them from attacks from predators and thieves. In Acts 20, Paul exhorts the elders of the Ephesian church to be diligent in their care for the church because fierce wolves, he says, will come in among you. Fierce wolves, not sparing the flock. Verse 30, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. False teaching is a very real threat, a very real danger. Brothers and sisters, we have to remember, false teaching is in a different category, right? There's, there's lots of areas in life where I can have this preference and you can have that preference, right? You can be a Pirates fan and I can be a Chiefs fan. That's okay, right? Yeah. <laughs> ever, ever hopeful, brother, ever hopeful. Yeah. Okay. We can have different political understandings. There's a lot of places we can differ. But we cannot differ on who God is, and we cannot differ on the way of salvation. When those things start to creep into the church, the pastors, elders need to, need to identify it and be able to clarify it to the church. This is not the truth. This will not save you. This will take you to hell. And they need to chase away people who don't stop teaching falsehood. They need to protect the church from poison. And they need to protect the church from wolves and thieves. When he's giving the qualifications um, of an elder in the book of Titus, Paul says an elder or pastor must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction, right? Give instruction in sound doctrine. There's the teaching side of it. But then, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. To be able to stand up to somebody teaching, teaching falsehood, teaching lies, and to say, that's not what God's word says. That is wrong. Here's what God's word actually says. Let me show you. Pastors or elders need to know the Word of God well so that they can recognize false teaching and protect the church from it. What else must they do? They must also lead or oversee. That's what we see here in our passage. Exercising oversight. Exercising oversight. They must lead. Set a direction for the church. Navigating the various things that that particular church may face aiming for the church to function and function well according to God's design. And this, this can't be done according to whatever the pastors wish. They can't, for example, decide, oh, well, we're not going to have preaching anymore. Preaching's a little bit boring. 
Uh, instead, we're going to just do dramas and plays. That's what we're going to do, right? And instead of having church every week, why don't we just go away for a weekend together and go camping once a month? That's what we're going to do. That's what this church is going to do. Okay? No, they don't get to do that. They must lead the church, direct the church, according to what God's word, the church, God's word says the church must do. And of course, the church must do everything it does for what it exists for. I don't have any authority to, to hijack this church for some political cause. I don't have any authority to hijack this church for any good cause. This church exists for the Great Commission. This church exists so that unbelievers can come to know about Jesus Christ and put their faith in Him. This church exists so that believers can grow in their walk with Jesus Christ and become mature disciples of Jesus Christ, Christ-like followers of Jesus. This church exists so that we can worship God. This church exists so that we, as a family in Christ, can care for one another and help each other run the race of the Christian life all the way to the end. This church exists so that God will receive the honor and glory for all that I just described. That's what the Bible says the church is for. That's what the church must be about. It's not a social club. It can't have any other agenda. And elders, pastors must lead the church according to what God's word says it exists for. Says it must do according to what God's word says it's all about. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things, I'm writing this book, I'm writing this letter to you, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. In other words, Paul says to Timothy, a young pastor, he says to him, I've written this letter to you because you do not get to lead the church any way you choose. You must lead it like this. You must lead it according to God's word. Lastly, what else should a pastor or elder do? You must set an example. You must set an example. We see that in our text, right? Verse 3, be an example to the flock. Be an example to the flock. They must set a godly example. We'll see in a little bit that the qualifications for eldership are essentially, most importantly, most of them are focused on godly character. On godly character. An elder needs to be able to live, a pastor needs to be able to live in such a way that he can say to his congregation, I'm still a sinner. I'm, I'm a sheep, first and foremost, <laughs> just like you. I'm a sinner saved by grace, but I'm following Jesus, and you can follow me as I follow Christ. How must they do their job? Well, Peter emphasizes a few things in this passage related to how an elder should do their work. He says they must do this work not under compulsion, but willingly, and not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Brothers and sisters, this is not a job for people who don't want it. It's not a job for someone who needs to be pleaded with to do it. It's also not a job for people who maybe want to do it, but want to do it for the wrong reasons. It is not a job for people who want to use it to get rich. You look around South Africa, Africa, you might think otherwise though, right? It's not a job for greedy people. Pastors should not think that this is the pathway to riches. 
It is ridiculous and shameful. But there are so-called pastors out there who ask their people to give sacrificially so that they can buy a private jet. I'm serious. I saw a video clip online. One of these big prosperity preachers from the States trying to make this whole argument for, oh, you know, he does these ministry trips and, you know, flying first class in a normal plane like, you know, most people, right? So even flying, to fly first class is a big deal. But no, flying first class, he's just too tired when he gets there to do ministry. He needs a private jet, you know. Ridiculous, shameful. And now look, obviously it's uh, most of the time, it's not as extreme as that. But anything along those lines is wicked. Anytime there's a mindset of seeking riches and luxury through ministry, you're taking the things of God and you're using it for yourself. To take this one step further though, a man's motivation for for being a pastor, right, can't even be just to make ends meet. Okay? Even if he's just trying to live really simply, that's not, this is not something you do for money. It's not something you do for the pay. It should be something you do out of a love for God, a love for His people, and a love for helping people walk with God. And that's not to say that a pastor should not be paid. In fact, there's quite a few passages in the New Testament that talk about how a pastor should be supported in ministry. Okay? But here's here's the key. There's a big difference between I do this so that I can receive the paycheck and I receive a paycheck so that I can give more time and energy to what I want to do full-time anyway. Okay? Big, big difference. Big, big difference. You pay a pastor to free him up so that he can give more time to ministry. This is also not something to do to impress people and be respected. If the reason someone wants to be a pastor is so that everywhere he goes, he's greeted as Maruti or Fundisi or Bishop or Man of God or Prophet or Apostle such and such, right? That is a big problem. A pastor must serve with a desire to point people to Jesus. A pastor should long to disappear and have people only see Jesus. A pastor must have a passion for God's glory, not their own. A desire to bless people, not impress people. A pastor must have the mindset we see in John the Baptist, right? I must decrease, he must increase. And again, look around South Africa, look around Africa, and you'd think, no, that's, that's not what I see, right? Too often, far too often, it's not what we see. The pastor comes in, in his fancy suit, in his fancy shoes, climbing out of his fancy car. And then the people are lying down on the ground so that he could walk on their backs. May it never be, my friends. May it never be. This is a job for people who see the immense privilege of it and desire the work itself for the glory of God and the good of God's people. My former pastor, Josh Mack, used to say that when it comes to finding future elders in the church, you must look for sheepdogs. And here's what he means by this. Sheepdogs like a border collie or a corgi, those, those breeds that were bred for shepherding sheep. It's in them. Still, even if for generations, 
you know, this, this, this dog's lineage is not actually shepherded sheep. It's still in them. I've heard it said that if you have one of these dogs and you've got small children, they'll try and shepherd your children. Try and lead them here, steer them there. It's in them. They love it. So within the church, you look out for people who without any title, you know, without any notoriety for it or, 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 or any, um, you know, respect or pay or, or any other motivation, they are just caring for God's people. They're doing pastoral work. They're shepherding people. There's your pastor. There's your elder. He loves it. Eager for any opportunity to do the work of ministry. <coughs> yeah. Um, all right. Peter continues that this work should be done in a way where there is no domineering, no domineering over those in your charge, but instead being an example. To the flock. What do we mean by domineering? We mean heavy handed leadership, right? Sometimes people want to be leaders because they love to tell people what to do. They love to tell people what to do, they love to be an authority. It should not be so with pastors or elders. There should also not be a cold, distant, Leadership. Uh, I, this is what I said. That ends it. No discussion. Not that type of leadership. Mark 10, verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, even Jesus himself, came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. That's our model. That's the leadership God calls for in the church. Pastors must be willing to stack chairs, mop floors, dish up food, clean dishes, give transport, pick up rubbish, come early, stay late, visit people, host people in their homes, etc., etc., the church is described as a body, and every member is a part of that body. Okay, so just as the eye doesn't need to walk, and the foot doesn't need to taste, and the ear doesn't need to see, so it's supposed to work in the church, right? When things are functioning well, everybody can focus on what they're most gifted in. So that's, that's important. So I'm not saying the ideal is that your, your pastors, your elders are doing everything. That's not the ideal. The ideal is that the whole church is functioning. Okay? And that as the whole church functions, pastors and elders are actually freed up to focus on pastoral work. To focus on preaching and teaching God's word. To focus on counseling God's word. To focus on discipleship, to focus on prayer, to focus on leading the church. Okay? But to say that is very, very different from saying, oh no, don't let the pastor stack the chairs. That's below him. No, it's not. Don't let the pastor pick up the rubbish. That's not a job for Ufundisi. Rubbish. <laughs> Do you think the pastor can't pick up rubbish is rubbish? That's not true. He absolutely can. And he must as he as the need is there. 
must be a servant. Jesus came to serve, not to be served, then pastors better be servants too. What are the qualifications for an elder or pastor? Well, the two main passages in the Bible that speak to this are found in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. Now, I'll send some more information out to you about these passages in the church WhatsApp groups in the week ahead because there's just too much to cover from these passages now. But let me say at least this much for now. Let me highlight a few points for now. The main emphasis, as we mentioned a little bit earlier in the sermon, is the godly character of these men. That's the main thing the scriptures are concerned about with their qualifications. There is nothing here about good looks, I'm surprising, I know. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> there's nothing here about stylishness. There's nothing about cleverness. There's nothing about academic achievements. Nothing about popularity. Nothing about dynamic personalities or hilarious senses of humor. Nothing about their success in business. Nothing about their well-known and highly respected family. There is nothing about any of this. The focus is on the godly character of these men. It's also important because a pastor or elder right, needs to set an example. So the, 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 these character qualifications are important because, as, we, as we've said, the, the, you need to be able to look to a pastor or elder and see, okay, there's somebody following Christ. Again, not perfectly, but a pastor or elder becomes basically an officially, officially designated example. Once you recognize someone as a pastor or elder, you're basically saying to the church, there, there are other examples in the church. There's other godly people in the church, other people to learn from, other people to emulate. But here is an officially recognized example. Someone the church puts forward as what it looks like to follow Jesus. And another reason character is so important is because character will inevitably, inevitably affect how somebody leads. If a man is short-tempered, he will not lead with gentleness. If he's greedy, at some point he will find a way to use his authority for his own ends. Beyond character, what these qualifications point to is that a pr prospective pastor or elder's leadership ability should be evidenced in how they lead their family. Should be able to see how they manage and lead their family and that then is like a smaller picture of what their leadership might be like in the church. An apostle elder, according to these qualifications, needs to know the Bible well and to have a gifting in teaching. But even that, my friends, is not to say that he's necessarily a dynamic preacher. He might not be a very, a very engaging preacher at all might be far more gifted in, in, in explaining the Bible one-on-one, -on -one, discipling others, counseling. But he's able, he knows the Bible well, is able to, to show you what it means in a way that helps people understand it. Okay? Those, that, in a nutshell, is what we're looking for in the qualifications of an elder or pastor. Now, how many elders should a church have? How many elders should a church have? Well, time and again, when elders are spoken of in the New Testament, they're spoken of in the plural. Paul tells Titus, for example, that he left him on the island of Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town. Elders, plural. In every town. So every church should have a plurality of elders. More than one elder. 
Here are a few reasons why this makes such good sense, right? There is a lot of work to do. I mean, this is a small church, right? Relatively speaking, this is a pretty small church. There is a lot of pastoral work to do. I can't do it on my own, okay? And certainly, it can be done better if there's more people engaged in the work. The Bible also points us to the wisdom of getting counsel. So when there's a team of elders or pastors, there's the benefit of getting one one another's input and making shared decisions. It's also a good thing because we all need support in life, and that includes pastors. There might be a time when one pastor is feeling discouraged or overwhelmed, Maybe he's going through a painful time of loss in his family. He just Maybe he just lost his father or lost a sibling. Or maybe he's going through a bit of a difficult time, a little bit of a time of conflict in his marriage. Or whatever it may be. If he has other pastors around him to encourage him and help him, to counsel him, and even to take some of his pastoral workload from him for a season, It's a huge help. Another reason a plurality of elders is good is for accountability. We've been talking in the last few weeks about how sin is deceptive. And I've tried to emphasize that we can all be deceived by sin. All of us. We can all have blind spots. We can all think we see and be missing something very important. A team of elders can help one another see their blind spots, can help one another catch themselves when they are being deceived by sin and led astray. Also within a team of elders, you'll have varying strengths. I mentioned how some, some men may be stronger preachers and others may be stronger counselors. Some may be better planners, better at organizing things, better at leading in, in some of those ways. Inevitably, when you have a team of elders, then holistically, those, those gifts make for a more well-rounded team. Stability and continuity. I hope this doesn't happen, but if I was to die in a car accident today on the way, the way home then there's no elders in this church. None. If we have a plurality of elders, then if something like that happens, the church still has leadership. There isn't even a moment when the church is without leadership. And then even other factors like like, um, uh, transitioning, right? Um, There's uh, Brackenhurst Baptist Church, uh, down in Alberton, wonderful, faithful sister church. Pastor there, Doug Van Meter, has been there for 30 years. And I just read a blog that uh, he wrote last week, and he was answering people who were saying, aren't you worried? Aren't you worried? Like, you know, when you, you have to retire, like, aren't you worried about the future of the church? And he is not worried at all. The reason he's not worried at all is because he has a team of elders. He doesn't know who the next lead pastor is going to be. He doesn't know who the next main preacher is going to be. But he knows there's a team of elders there who know the church, love the church, who are godly men, who are leading the church according to God's word. And he knows that in their hands, everything will be fine. That's the way it's supposed to be. Now here at Pretoria West, as I've said, I'm currently the only pastor or or elder in the church, but I still haven't been acting as a solo authority. The Living Hope Elders, the Living Hope is our sending church. So the Living Hope Elders have been helping me in making decisions for the church, and I have not had the authority to act independently of them. And we've done this this way, again, obviously because the Bible points us to the, uh, the, the God's design being a plurality of elders. And then in addition to that, I've also had a steering committee here in the church 
um, Dumi, and Schlanschler, Jimmy. And these brothers have not had the authority of elders. Okay? They're, not, they're not elders, but they have helped me think through things regarding the church. And definitely, definitely they have shouldered a lot of actual work. A lot of actual work. They've done a ton of ministry work. All of them have been so faithful. Um, and their wives too. They've been a massive help. There's, there's a good number of you who serve faithfully in the church. There's a good number of you who are really quite exemplary in how you serve. But none, none to the degree of these brothers and their wives. They have done so much work. And actually, let's just take a moment to, I mean, seriously, even clap for them <laughs> right now. Because, because this is God's kindness to us to give us these men, to give us their wives, and to, to put it on their hearts to love the church like this and to help them to be this faithful. I, it, it, I'm, I'm not exaggerating at all to say that our church would not exist or it certainly would not be as healthy as it is, would not be doing as well as it is without the labors of these brothers and, and their wives. So we, we thank God for that. Now, longer term, though, we need more than, a plurality, more than a plurality of elders made possible because of a connection with Living Hope. And longer term, we need more than a steering committee here at Pretoria West. Longer term, we need a plurality of elders that are here at Pretoria West Bible Church, that are part of this church. Now, I've been talking with two men who I've asked to consider putting themselves forward as possible pastors, uh, possible elders, and uh, they've agreed. And the Living Hope elders have also interviewed them. I took them along with me different times to Living Hope elders meetings, and, and we spent a good chunk of the night with, with each, each of them individually, um, with the, the elders interviewing them. And the Living Hope elders have known these men also for for longer because they were also part of Living Hope Church before the church plant uh, as well. Um, and the Living Hope elders have said, yes, we agree. These, these men are, are good candidates for eldership, good candidates for pastoral leadership in the church. And uh, those men, are, that's Dumi and Lovu and Schlanschle and Korsi. And um, as I've already mentioned, they've served faithfully, right, as a part of the steering committee. And just so some of you, you know, I mean, this is actually goes back quite a while, even before the church began. We started meeting as a steering committee and praying and thinking and planning um, in, in the build-up towards the church plan. I think, um, no, I think probably at least a year and a half before the church plant began. And uh, certainly... Those of you who come regularly will know that they're, they're here almost every Sunday, if not every Sunday, right? They're here early, helping with setup and with so many other things. You've heard their preaching. Uh, Dumi and sometimes in Schlanschler lead the worship team. Uh, in Schlanschler regularly leads our GC. Dumi sometimes leads the GC. I know a good number of you have sought these men out for counsel because you've observed their lives. You see their godly living, and you know that they know God's word well. And I'm sure it's evident to all of you that they are happily married. Uh, not just them, but their wives also. <laughs> they, they love their wives well, right? And their wives, as I've already mentioned, are also faithfully serving in the church too. Um, so there's good reasons. There's good reasons why these men are being presented to you as candidates for being pastors or elders, for, for joining me and in, in becoming a team of pastors, a team of elders here to lead this church. But even though from what I know, I'm confident of their character and their gifting, their faithfulness, uh, even though I believe they are well qualified, we also want to give you all the opportunity to think and pray about this. This is a big step. This is a big step as a church. So between now and October, 
we're asking you to please think and pray. Um, consider what you already know about these men. Observe their lives. I told them, I said, brothers, okay, you, you're putting your hand up to basically for me to say, okay, guys, watch them. You know, watch them. So they, they know. <laughs> they know they've signed up for that, right? Observe them. Are they living godly lives? Are they living godly lives? And, and then consider today's sermon and consider these passages on the qualifications of an elder. As I said, I'll, I'll send out some more information later this week about that. And then if you have any questions or concerns, you can talk to them. You can talk to me. You can talk to their, their wives potentially as well, depending on the, the, the nature of, of, of your question or concern. Um, but then we'll and and then we'll see we'll see if we if we all as a church are are fully confident to move forward with these men as pastors or elders then Lord willing will appoint them as 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 pastors as elders here in the church in October Lord willing okay it's pretty exciting isn't it okay so what I want to do now I want to uh, uh, call these brothers forward, um, and I just want to pray. I want to pray for for God's guidance with this. Okay, we don't want to don't want to assume. Uh, so we we need the Lord. We need the Lord in this. He's the one who builds this church, and we need His guidance. So, brothers, if you can come forward, then I'll pray for you.